Welcome back to an all-new episode of Level Playing Field Podcast on the Outsports Podcast Network. My name is Randy Boos, and I am your host for this podcast where I speak to people who are LGBTQ and involved in sports. This week's episode is a little different. Usually I speak to one guest, get their story, their coming out story, um, talk about their sport. This episode I'm having three guests. So the first guest I have on tonight is Benjamin Asler. Ben is Mr. Gay Germany. He um, recently won the contest. He'll go on to compete against Mr. Gay Europe. Part of this contest is you have to build a campaign, a campaign for something that you're interested in. Ben's campaign involved um, LGBT athletes and football or soccer in the U.S. So we talked to him. After we talked to Ben, we moved on to, to Jamel J. Lemonius from Stonewall UK. Stonewall UK is the organization that does the, they do the annual Rainbow Laces campaign in Great Britain, usually in the month of November, I believe. And I talked to Jay for a little bit. I talked to him about what he does in Stonewall, the Rainbow Laces campaign. I also actually bring up race. I know the term BAME, Black Asian Minority Ethnic in the UK. It's something I didn't know, but he corrected me and it's not something that he likes and a lot of people don't like. So we talk about that as well. I wrap up this episode where I speak to American Adam McCabe. Adam has his own uh, podcast. It's called the Gay Footballers Podcast. He talks to primarily people who are involved in football around the world who are gay. He also um, does bring occasional guests on like Kyle Krieger, who might not necessarily play the sport or involved in the sport, but he's interested in or has interest in. But so without further ado, though, because this is a little bit longer than normal episode or how it has been lately, I want to get you going. Here is Ben Nastler, Mr. Gay Germany. Hey, welcome, Benjamin. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you friend invitation it's funny because the last school year in america we hosted a german exchange student and so germany has always been a place that has sort of been close to my heart so when i saw that you were mr gay germany and you had this campaign to fight homophobia in in football in germany i i wanted to get you on um can you tell me a little bit about the contest though mr gay germany yes sure um Mr. Gay Germany is, a, is not only a contest for um, walking on at the runway or the catwalk and just look pretty. It's way more than this. And we had uh, more than 200 um, yeah, people who wanted to get Mr. Gay Germany in this year. Um, 12 of them got to the semifinals and the last six were in the final. So I was one of those six in the final and my campaign was uh, about soccer um, and uh, homophobic uh, topic in, in soccer. So as in every, nearly every sports in, in the world, also soccer has a, yeah, in Germany, a big issue with um, homophobia because there's just one famous soccer player who came out the last years and it was after his career. So And that was started, Thomas, right? Thomas Hitzensberger, right, exactly. He was famous in in Britain, in England, 
he played for Aston Villa. He's also very famous in Germany. He played for um, Five for Stuttgart and the national team. <clears throat> and uh, I was also was a soccer player, but way less than he did. I was just in the, um, yeah, in at the base, like second last division, whatever. I think it's the tenth division in Germany, something like this. So. I was not very good at it, but it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed the the time there. But I still have the feeling that it's not common that you're gay and play soccer because also when I applied for Mr. Gay Germany, um, I talked to to a friend and I just said, yeah, like yeah, I like soccer, I like um, watching it, I like playing it, and he was like, really? But you're gay. And I was like, what does it matter if I'm gay or if I'm not? Because I just like the sports, and it is just about sports. It's not about the sexual orientation and whatever. Um, so this was the reason I just applied for Mr. Gay Germany, and I chose this campaign. And yeah, we had a lot of stuff to do in the finals. It was a um, on two days. We also had um, at the end we had a catwalk. Uh, in between we had the campaign. We had a written test. Um, we had a TV interview. We had a radio interview. We had a social media comp- uh, challenge to get likes on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We had a media challenge to get um, articles in newspapers, radio, um, TV shows, or a TV interview. And the jury, um, the judges uh, were like 11 people, and everybody get, um, got points from them. And yeah, in the end, I had the most points, so I was the winner. What was the most surprising thing about being the winner? I mean, when you enter these contests, you obviously want to win. You think you're going to win. You know you can win. But w- what was the feeling like when you do win? Honestly, I, I haven't had the feeling after the semifinals to win because in many challenges, I thought I'm, I'm doing better, but I was not the best or the second place. So I was, this was very wondering because I had a better feeling. The pr- surprising thing in winning this was just the the moment when you when you know in the end it was like I, I knew that either I was the winner or another one was the winner and um, when he said the second place is going to Cologne to Maurice and I was like okay this was the feeling I, I already felt like okay I will be the winner because there was no other opportunity because I won four challenges he won three challenges of this um, eight so it was obvious that Either he or me was it. Um, and then he, he said just my name. And it was like explosion of my feelings. Like, okay, it, now you, you got it. Now you, you are, you're responsible for your campaign. You're responsible for the organization for Mr. Gay Germany. And you have to, to show them that it's not only some words you said. It's a campaign you have to start, really start making big making successful and so it was on the one hand a feeling of a lot of emotions of being happy and proud and seeing my mom in the first row in, in at the Christmas market it was live on the Christmas market the, the final so he was uh, she was um, coming up all the way seven hours to Cologne to just watching me in the finals and I was so happy and so proud of her and all of my friends they came um, but on the other hand, there were so many people coming to me. We wanted to have pictures and 
um, talks and this also felt like a little bit of pressure to make the campaign successful really yeah so both emotions were on me i bet so what was that first step you did for the campaign to fight homophobia um, in germany the, the first steps was um just to to think about what's how can what what are my goals to reach and for me I, it was obvious that it's not the goal to make um professional soccer player um, to come out because it's not in my it's not my business to make someone come out to to people that they are gay. So I had other plans. Oh, I have still other plans. Um, the first goal is that I want to make um, contact person in every association. We have um, the Deutsche Fußballbund, so the German soccer association. It's the the big one, and below there are um, twenty one regional ones. So. I want to have in every 20, um, 21 association, associations a contact person for this topic. And it's always good to have it on, online so everybody can, can see it. But I think when you're gay and you have a problem with maybe coming out or you don't know if you're gay or not, or you got some homophobic um, words or, or sentences someone said to you, you don't look up at, um, or you don't go to a website and check on the association. So I thought like you have to, to lower the border to get in contact to these people. So I want to make it um, kind of offline and put it on the blackboard, on the paper. Like if you need help, you can contact this person. And the, co the person in the association is not like they have to do everything. It's just like a coordination. And if it's like, just homophobic sentences or words they, they said they have to give it to the, the law, um, uh, law uh, association inside the, the football association um, to make some sanctions, penalties for, for um, the team or, or the player. But on the other hand, when they need to, some help for coming out, they give it to organizations outside of the box like um, professional ones so they can talk to them so I, I just want to make it more visible in, in sports that they all the associations um, are uh, in this topic like working with it and this is the first goal to make these contact persons for gay people but it's also very important to inform um, to give information to all the coaches all the responsibles in the teams and in all this in this all these clubs so i want to make work workshops to uh, for for the coaches for example to that they know what's going to happen with people when they say like um don't behave like a faggot or this is a gay ball or come on faggot don't kick like 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 a like a gay people like a gay person that they just get the get to know how it how it feels for for gay people or for for gay gay guy like me when my my teammates just say these words it's not like they are homophobic but you know words can make people just suffer with themselves and this is also very important for me that the people who very insecure um, the people who are very insecure with themselves, that they don't know maybe they're gay or not, or 
they don't know how to handle it. I think they, they struggle even more when also the teammates in, in the sports club they love, they, they really like to play, are not with them or say these words like, oh, come on, don't act like a faggot or whatever. So I just want to, ma to open their eyes for what words can, can do with people. And the third goal is that I also want to reach the fans. So I want to make like um, a special match day where um, the, the, the clubs put rainbow flags as the, and the, at, at the corners, um, make like uh, rainbow flags for the captain, um, making some, some stands, some, some information um, boards uh, in front of the stadium that people can just in, in, inform themselves about, um, yeah, what, what does it mean to be gay? What, maybe what's also... Um, gay sports does offer in the city because we in Frankfurt here in Germany we have a, um, a gay sports club we have more than 900 people um, in, the, in this club we have 28 different sports and that they also know that there are people who are supporting them that they also can go into another sports club if they feel unsafe or unsecure in, in their club so yeah different different steps for my campaign let me ask you though um to back up a little bit for what because i've been reading about you the last few days as we started to plan on talking and what i really love is the aspect of you going into the youth clubs and showing that there's someone that they can reach out to if they are you know coming out come to terms with their sexuality or or whatever it is and i love that aspect of it how has the feedback been from clubs you reached out to the feedback is pretty good. The, the club I was playing when I was young um, sent me a, a message that they, they are happy that I won and they, congrats, um, they said, congratulations, um, we never expected that you're gay. So it, even the, my, my former club who said these this words on, on the field and even worse things um, in the sports, um, in the house of, of the, the club, they congratulated me for, for winning this. And I got a, a professional team. It's in the second division in Germany. It's called the Darmstadt 98. Um, they said, like, yeah, we are, we are ready to make this um, special match day with you. And now we are talking about which, um, which match we do, we choose, uh, and what else we're going to do with um, maybe rainbow corners or the, for the captain on the arm. So the response from the clubs are, is really good. Um, I also got some message from um, other sports clubs in Germany from the first division. They said like, okay, I'm working for the, the fan management and I just read about your campaign. Is it possible that we can talk maybe? And this is really good that also people like you um, see that it's, First, that, that I won, or no, not that I won, so that the campaign won, that not my, it's not important for me that my name is number one or, um, or in, the, in the news. For me, it's important that the campaign is um, in, in, in focus and in the center of the attention because the campaign is that what matters, that the people, the gay people in Germany have the opportunity that 
something is getting better for them and I just want that sexual orientation doesn't matter at all if you're gay or not. Yeah, this is what's the point now. And as I said, I'm really happy that um, also the first division clubs got uh, the attention of my campaign already. Nice. Do you envision maybe in the future you having something like Stonewall UK, which does rainbow laces as one of their big events yearly in English football? Is that something you want to try to aim for or are you trying to aim for something different? I can't answer these questions really properly because I don't know where my journey is going to because it's just like two and a half months when I started my campaign. Yeah. <laughs> so honestly, I, I don't know what's what's going on in three months, in six months, in one year, maybe in two years. There are already some organizations working on this campaign, but I think they do it doing it in a in a different way, like just inform. Uh, well, not just, but they inform. Um, they try to get in this um, in the coaching system to make it um, in 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 that that sexual orientation is a is a part of the um, education for the coaches. Oh, okay. But, but they're doing it for, for a couple of years already. And it's very hard because um, the, the Football Association in Germany, they have like 100 topics for 100 hours. So it's completely full with all these topics already. So it's very hard to find a gap to put it into. Um, and I think my campaign is a bit different from these other things because I, I try to contact all these 21 um, regional associations. This is what I think not all the organizations did uh, with all these 21 regional ones. So it's, it's a different way we, we work on this. So I can And it's crazy because it's, it's almost become like another full-time job for you, yet you already have a job. And it, yes, I, I already have a full-time job, but... Um, and it sounds like they've been really supportive of you. My, my job? Yeah. Yeah, my company is really um, supporting me. Like, in my job, I, I have the opportunity that I um, can make my own time schedule. So it's not like this typical business job or office jobs um, where you have to start 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., um, and in between, you have 45 minutes of, of break. Um, the good thing is that I have a lot of time, let's say like this, during um, the, the car ride, when I go to the offices, to the different offices I'm uh, responsible for. So sometimes I'm in the car like one hour or something like this. So I have a lot of time to think about topics, to think about um, yeah, answers of people or just call them and talk to them. This is a good good um, thing uh, on my job. And just two days ago, my CEO of the company, we have 15,000 employees, but um, we have an intranet. And I got an article on it on the first site. And also my CEO, he just re uh, responded to my article. Um, and I was really proud of it that the CEO of my, of, of my work just read it and uh, said, hey, congratulations, I haven't, uh, I, I didn't knew that um, we have such talented um, employees and 
it was really good and I think it's a good chance or a good opportunity for me to start with um, maybe with a community also in my in, in my work um, additional to the campaign and yeah it's a full-time job and uh, the campaign is also very um, yeah let's say stressful because of the different ways I do um, but now at the moment I can handle it very well nice I'm, I'm glad you're able to do it do it all <laughs> I mean it, it's amazing what you're able to accomplish in such a short time yeah thank you I'm also very happy and surprised that it's even um, as I said in two and a half months even not even that it, I, I did it in two and a half months like like this already yeah yeah, and then with the support of, you know, we talked about your job with your husband. I mean, it seems like you have the support to help you too. And with all yes. the goals you have. Yes. Um, I, I also would say that if I wouldn't have my husband, I wouldn't be at the point I'm, I'm now. Um, and he's so supportive for me and he has a lot of ideas and um, hints and he's so good for for this campaign for me and yeah i can't say uh, thank you so so and what's um, his name his name is chris yeah thank you chris then for for helping <laughs> yes thank you also my, there... my whole my whole family my friends are also supportive they they try to help me wherever and whenever they can and <clears throat> friends help me with the with the presentation for the campaign other friends help me with the outfits or with ideas and it's so um, so good to have friends like this, and I didn't expect it this before when I started the application for Mystic Germany. But this is for me the right sign that I have, yeah, very good friends um, and also very helpful and yeah, the best friends awesome. I can imagine. Cool. Is there anything else you would like to add that we didn't cover? I don't think so. I think. I talked a lot of uh, about my campaign and what is very important for me. And um, for me, it's just the, the time to say thank you to, to all the people, especially my husband, um, who supported me that much already uh, until now. And the journey is going on. So Mr. Gay World and Mr. Gay Europe is still in front of me. And You have yeah, an exciting 2020. Absolutely, that's that's correct, and I'm really looking forward to it because I really don't know what's going to happen the next weeks, month, and whatever. And this is very, maybe this is the most surprising thing uh, of winning Mr. Gay Germany that you, you, we talked, or I talked a lot of uh, a lot um, with the former Mr. Gay Germany from 2019, but. His campaign was completely something different. He was um, his campaign was about blood donation, so completely different topic uh, of the campaign. Um, but he said like, yeah, when you win, it's gonna happen this, 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 and this. But now I won, and I see that it's way more than just like one, two, three. Um, <laughs> and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of benefit you you get you back um, in in form of thank yous and um, words that people say to you and yeah, let's see what's 2020 is going coming. Um, what 2020 has to offer me. Cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with this. It's going to be exciting. 
Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm also, I think I'm even more excited than you are. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you are. Because <laughs> um, I, I just couldn't imagine being in your position in such a short amount of time and, and just the exciting things that you're, you're going to be working on in this next year. Yes, me too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on my podcast. I had a lot of fun talking with you. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Ben. Coming up next is my interview with Jay from Stonewall UK. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Jay, so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. Before we talk about your work with Stonewall and what Stonewall is um, in the UK, can we go a little bit into who you are and and how you got involved in the sport of football? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've been at Stonewall for a couple of years now. Um, I've been working in football for about uh, roughly five years, um, and I kind of um, football is like our, our main sport here in the UK. So um, I've sort of grew up playing football my whole life. Kind of presumed I'd be a um, professional athlete when I was younger, but um, obviously, uh, like millions and millions of other uh, young people across the world, uh, very quickly realised that that's not a not a reality. Um, and I was lucky enough to kind of go to university study. Um, sports development, so I knew I kind of wanted to go into either coaching or development after my um, uh, after I after I realised I wasn't going to be able to play. Um, and yeah, it's kind of been a been a journey for me, kind of realising the various different uh, careers out there outside of playing um, within the game. Um, and I'm lucky to kind of have been working with a couple of organisations that I'm quite passionate about, whether it's been Stonewall or whether it's been Kick It Out. Um, that's kind of been my journey through football. I still play, I still coach, um, and then obviously uh, Monday nine to, uh, Monday to Friday, nine to five, I kind of work within uh, not just football at the moment, but also uh, a number of different sports um, within the UK. And for your for your own sexuality and growing up and playing sports, was it an issue for you? Um, I think in hindsight, it definitely was. I think at the time, um, I was probably too confused to to put it down to to an issue, but. Um, I think, uh, like like anybody who um, who kind of grows up in the sort of area that I grew up in, I, I kind of didn't grow up with any people uh, knowing anybody who was LGBT, let alone um, having any role models, particularly within football or within sport in general. Um, so yeah, I think in hindsight, it, it did provide me with, a, with quite a few years of confusion, um, uh, quite a few a few years of kind of um, battling with my own identity and, and kind of my own self. Uh, sense of belonging in, in, in different communities. Um, I kind of um, found it easy to, to kind of blend in um, with the football teams that I grew up um, playing in, uh, sort of the mainstream teams. Um, but yeah, the older I got and the more I kind of understood my own identity and understood how that intersects with some of the experience that I've had. Yeah, I, I look back and, and, and absolutely it was quite difficult, quite a difficult and confusing period kind of uh, reconciling um, being being gay and, and, and also kind of being um, being playing football and, and working in an environment where you, you don't necessarily see many um, many many LGBT people people or, or many gay people of color in particular. Yeah, you know, I know um, in the late '80s, early '90s, we had Justin Fashionu come out in English football, and obviously that was way before your time, and it had it had a tragic ending. But how? important would have you been to have a gay footballer while you were playing as a youth what yeah, would that have meant to you i think it would have been massive really yeah and um, i think uh 
there's a there's a saying that I really like. It's uh, it's that you can't be what you can't see, and that kind of just goes to stress the importance of having role models and the importance of visibility and representation. Um, if you kind of grow up in a space which is already competitive, which is already kind of high pressure and, and challenging in a number of different ways, if you uh, if you then add another layer of being uh, being gay or, or being being bi or, or questioning your sexual orientation, you kind of if you don't see that represented. Um, in the in the places that you're playing in, or particularly on screens, uh, then yeah, you can you can kind of um, feel like uh, they're not spaces for you, um, and I'm sure that kind of affects me in a number of different ways, from from confidence to to motivation to isolation. But um, yeah, if, if if Justin existed today and, and that story played out today, I imagine it it, it was uh, it, it may have had a, a completely different ending. Um, but yeah, I think that that goes to show just the importance of visibility and, and, and for people who, who might look like Justin, who, who might sort of relate to certain parts of his identity, um, to not have that today, um, yeah, it provides almost a bit of a glass ceiling sometimes. You, know, you mentioned race and um, I'm so used to in the United States just seeing African-American because that's what the term is used. There's people of color or, uh, or black still. In England, the term BAME is used. Right, usually. Yeah, yeah sadly. And it, and this is education for me and for others too. BAME stands for Black a Black Asian and Minority Ethnic, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, that's correct. But then there's, and I bring this up because I want to talk about race briefly, within the gay community, within the the sports community. Obviously, over in uh, English football right now, there's a, a huge problem, just with with racial terms being used. Yeah to insult players out on the pitch. Yeah. Um, uh, and obviously in America, we have our own problems and I don't need to get into that with our president and everything, but how is it for you? Just not even sexuality, but just race and culture to be attacked like that as well. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's just, uh, it's probably a symptomatic uh, display of the times really. I think it's, um, Racism has already always existed in this country. Um, this is nothing new, I think, particularly the discourse um, in today's society. People, uh, particularly bigots, feel far more emboldened than they have done, particularly when I was younger. Anyway, uh, so we're seeing more high-profile instances, absolutely. And, but yeah, it's, it's 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 never gone away. I think this is um, some of the things that we see play out in the media. Um, this is kind of everyday life for me, anyway. I think. Uh, for a lot of people of colour also, that this is some of these experiences, whether it's a microaggression, whether it's uh, outright aggression or, or racial slurs, uh, these are part of the everyday experiences of people of colour, particularly in this country as well. Um, so again, like I think, uh, obviously we've come a long way um, and we've definitely made strides as to where uh, it isn't, exact, isn't as stark as it has been uh, in years gone by, but uh, we're seeing a resurgence um, of people feeling emboldened to be able to and confident to, to kind of express their bigoted views and, and I think that's it's just it's just, it's just an idea of a, the kind of challenges that we've got facing ahead and, and the importance of uniting people um, and just going back to that kind of um, the BAME uh, uh, sort of term that we use here um, it's important to add that a lot of people of colour don't actually like that term because I think it's quite and, and that's me in particular as well I think it's quite um, it's quite a triggering term for some um, oh, okay. I didn't know that. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. There's no reason why you should, particularly if it's a, it's a, if 
it's not a term uh, regularly used uh, in the States. Um, it, it kind of uh, treats, uh, it's very heavily um, skewed towards black um, and it kind of others, others other minorities at the same time. Um, and yeah, I think it's also kind of a, a term which is which is used by systems, by governments, by um, workplaces to kind of put all people, to people of colour together with, without kind of understanding the nuances and the intersections that um, a lot of people of colour uh, like live with effectively or, or, or who are part of their identities. So um, I don't particularly like that term. Um, okay, that's good to know. Thank you for yeah, educating me. Yeah, no, that's all right. Um, but yeah, there are there are some people who who regularly use it, and so you will come across it. But um, I know for a fact that there are a growing majority of people, um, people of colour, um, actually reject that term. But um, we, we understand that we have to use it um, because um, that's how people are kind of collating data um, at the moment, um, using that term. But yeah, I'm, I'm, in my personal life or anything, I, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't okay. use that. Cool, thank you. One more thing about race and, and sexuality, really, and how it affects you. Um, when you're out on the pitch and you play for uh, Stonewall FC, right? Yeah, that's correct. To be a, um, to be black, to be gay, and on the pitch, do you ever have an overwhelming sense of, I don't want to say hate, but just negativity towards you because of who you are? Um, I, I'd say I was, I'm probably quite privileged in a sense, actually. Um, so I've, uh, I've grown up with the privilege of, of, of always being able to kind of pass or blend in or, or, or people not necessarily knowing or being able to have the privilege of not having to come out in particular spaces. Um, so again, I think that's probably skewed my experience as a gay man. Um, and alternatively, obviously, as, as, as a black man, a black gay man, um, uh, my blackness is something which I, which I obviously can't hide and it's something that I, I probably can't. Uh, run away from so um, I, I would absolutely say that my my experiences within life has probably been skewed towards racism and homophobia um, but I think that's probably natural for someone in my position and when I say privilege I think uh, there, are, there are a lot of LGBT people who um, who present in a number of different ways um, and society reads them um, as different so so that skews their experiences in, in some cases negatively um, and I've been lucky enough um, to not have had any uh, overt homophobia um, directed at me or, or to be physically assaulted but we know that that's not the case for, for a lot of LGBT people and I think um, a lot of my experiences um, I try to kind of, uh, a lot of the work that I do and a lot of the activism that I try to portray is is, is, is by kind of um, empowering those of us who have, who have had experiences and who have lacked the privilege that I've, I've lacked in certain spaces or in certain situations. But, but on, a, on a pitch um, Sort of on a weekly basis. Um, I'm lucky again that I've never experienced any overt um, racism. Obviously, I've kind of experienced covert racism or, or, or microaggressions. But I've been lucky in terms of the teams that I've played for, um, the area that I grew up grew up in. I grew up in quite a diverse um, area, so the teams that I've played for um, have, uh, have more often not been diverse as well. So yeah, in terms of um, overt experiences, I, I've been lucky in, lucky in that. But a lot of the work that I do and a lot of the LGBT people that I come into contact with, and particularly a lot of the LGBT people um, who are people of colour, um, alternatively in spaces where uh, they should feel welcome, particularly 
we're LGBT sports team, um, there are a number of um, LGBT people of colour who don't necessarily feel safe or feel like LGBT sports is, is good for them um, or is, is a safe space for them. So yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting um, dynamic, an interesting um, challenge that we have, um, particularly from racism within the community and um, racism and homophobia from outside the community also. And that brings me to, to Stonewall. Can you briefly go into what Stonewall is? Because I know it mainly for, as an English football fan, the Rainbow Laces campaign, but Stonewall is Stonewall UK is such a bigger organization. Can you briefly go into what, what you guys do? Yeah, so um, Stonewall's charity, we were, uh, we were actually set up um, as a, in response to a piece of legislation that they, um, they, they put in place in this country called Section 28. Um, Section 28 effectively banned the promotion of non-traditional uh, non nuclear families. Um, so it meant a number of different things. It meant that teachers weren't able to uh, talk to young people about uh, different families existing, different um, sexual orientations existing, uh, people loving um, various different um, kinds of people who, 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 who swayed away from sort of the nuclear family. Um, and it also meant that um, if someone was being homophobically bullied, the teachers didn't know how to deal with that because um, they, they, they refused to acknowledge that homophobia um, was a form of bullying. Um, so it was, it, the legacy of that is effectively um, still felt in today's society, but we were built, um, we were founded uh, in response to that, to lobby government, um, to change, challenge and, and protect existing laws that um, that protect the rights um, of, of LGBT people. Um, and this was over over 25 years ago now. So um, uh, we've evolved a lot since then. So now we do a lot of work with schools um, and uh, kind of training and supporting teachers to be LGBT inclusive and to challenge um, homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying uh, within their schools. Um, we work with, we still work with government to lobby them to protect and uh, change laws. Um, we work with hundreds and hundreds of um, professional institutions up and down the country, from universities to um, to hospitals to um, corporate organisations, whether that's lawyer law firms or banks, um, and we support them on their LGBT inclusion. So whether it's uh, uh, policies, um, just to ensure that their workforces um, and LGBT people within the buildings of these organisations. Uh, feel safe and able to work, bring their whole selves to work. Um, but my role in particular as sports campaigns manager at the organisation is I, I kind of work um, obviously on the Rainbow Laces campaign, which is um, one of the organisation's flagship campaigns. Um, but I also kind of work across uh, a number of other sports partnerships we have, um, whether that's uh, the three-year partnership that we have with the Premier League um, or the two-year partnership that we have with the Football Association. Uh, we work with a number of different governing bodies. Um, through our DC program, um, and we kind of support sports to kind of um, uh, ensure that not just their workforce are LGBT inclusive, but their participation base are um, creating the right environments where LGBT people feel safe uh, and welcoming them. Um, and a lot of the work that I do is particularly around football. Um, but again, like I mentioned, we work with a number of different sports and different national governing bodies to, um, to support their work. Um, and the sports team was built effectively. Um, off the back of the success of the Rainbow Laces campaign, because uh, we know we're having um, great, great cut through with this incredible engaging campaign, and then people 
and sports organisations want to do more. Um, so the sports team now um, has been built um, and put in place to, to have those nuanced conversations with sports around how we can support them further. Um, how can we ensure that uh, when the Rainbow Laces campaign comes around um, annually, um, they're, they're confident that they're doing the work 12 months of the year uh, and they can celebrate LGBT people uh, during Rainbow Laces, um, knowing that they're, uh, they're doing all they can uh, throughout the year to ensure that their workplace processes and practices are LGBT inclusive um, and they're doing their best uh, so that LGBT people can feel safe and um, celebrated within those sports as well. So yeah, the, the sports team are two years in now, we're, we're up to five members of staff and it's been a really exciting couple of years and some of the work that we're doing really incredibly groundbreaking. But, but like you said, like, like I say, I think you spoke about it earlier, um, we're living in quite challenging times and, and, and society is probably as, as divided as it's ever been, particularly in the UK at the moment. Um, and sport has, a, has an incredible power to kind of bring people together. Um, so at, in that, at this stage in, in, in life, I think um, our work is, is it's even, more value, even more important to, to be doing at the moment. Um, I think we're quite excited about the challenge that's ahead. But yeah, it's, it's, it's great to kind of celebrate the, some of the positive stuff that we've, we've been doing, um, but acknowledge that, that we've still got a long way to go yet. How long ago did you start working on the Rainbow Laces campaign? So I worked, um, I joined Stonewall um, two years ago now. So um, I'm, uh, I'm almost three campaigns in, um, which is, uh, and again, like the, the growth that I've seen in the campaign over the years and the level of engagement and commitment from uh, not just uh, not just football, but all sports, um, to kind of really drive the campaign forward. Um, I think is what is what the success of the campaign has been, particularly from what I've seen over the last couple of years. Um, it's now a campaign which is being driven and led by sports people. So again, like I think, us as an organisation, we could kind of provide people with the tools and we could we could support people on those journeys. But um, if you're going to get real cut through in particular sports, you need you need leadership. You need kind of influencers and drivers within those sports and I think that's that's been the key to success for the campaign over the last couple of years. So it happened what it's, it's yearly it happens usually the month of November. Yeah. And every team usually has a Rainbow Laces match. Yeah. That that's involved in the program. Yeah. So um some teams will have a couple of games some some sports will have um a particular match round or a couple of match rounds or a week long um when we initially started the campaign, it was over one weekend. Um, and due to current success of it, and, and particularly uh, the cut through that we've had in, within football, uh, a lot of teams found that uh, during that weekend, they weren't able to kind of show their support for LGBT inclusion. And so um, we decided to stretch it out over the course of um, two to three weeks. So last year, um, it was a three week period. Um, and again, that allowed us sort of platform um, some incredible sports, incredible teams, um, doing some great work from grassroots to uh, professional pitches in the Premier League, um, to uh, professional darts, um, to cricket. Um, I think uh, the success has been particularly um, just stretching that out and ensuring that we kind of platform um, some of the great and important work that some of these sports are doing. How does it make you feel as just being a human who's involved in this program to see like a, a player tweet about it or, or share it on Instagram or something like that, just to show their social media followers that they support this. Oh, it's incredibly important. Yeah, I think it's, 
some of the most powerful things, um, and, and particularly what we found over working the campaign over the last couple of years, is tweeting support and is incredible. And I think that that has a particular um, impact on um, some of the LGBT people who support um, some of these teams or these players, and um, and that, and the kind of power of that is is absolutely is absolutely really really, really crucial. But um, uh, what we found over the last couple of years, in particular the success of, of this year, was was that storytelling and, and that kind of human nature and the human aspect of sport, and just bring, bridging the gap between um, being LGBT and, and, and playing sport and having allies within sport who are supportive of the LGBT community and, and having those conversations and sharing those stories. Um, and we believe there's nothing more powerful than, than storytelling and, and how we how we kind of get people to feel fuzzy and, and warm and, and nice about LGBT inclusion is one thing and that's kind of something that the campaign does incredibly well but how do we kind of allow people to uh, to actually get, have the tools to, to create change to actually be empowered to, to have the confidence to um, to challenge uh, homophobic biphobic or transphobic abuse when they hear it or see it or to report it um, I think that's the power of storytelling that's the power of kind of um, giving people the confidence that we're trying to do. Um, so again, like I think tweets and um, social support like that are incredible, but um, some of the most powerful things we've seen are, are when people feel emboldened to share their story of, of whether they're coming out or some of the um, some of the people that support them through their journey of coming out and um, some players who have who've had uh, real conversations with LGBT fan groups of their own football club. Um, those are the incredible stuff, and I think that's the incredible like storytelling and, and visuals that we that we feel really, really proud of the campaign for. And um, again, that, that that goes down to being club led, fan led, um, sports people led, um, and I think that's kind of the crucial success of the campaign. So yeah, I was going to ask how important then are those uh, fan led pride groups that that most clubs have? Not only working with Rainbow Laces, but just you know game in, game out, being out in the stands supporting the club yeah they're, they're, again like i think uh, a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the pushback that you kind of see and um, week in week out is particularly with chance and uh, some of the abuse when you hear it is that uh, it can't be homophobic because nobody on the pitch is is, home, is, is actually openly gay or bi um so I, I didn't mean it it wasn't meant to be homophobic because i didn't know he was gay or whatever but um i think that points to to so the importance of visibility and, and, and one of the things that these LGBT fan groups who are there week in, week out, and they've always been there, uh, they've always been there week, week in, week out, is they provide that visibility. Uh, they, they, they kind of provide that representation of, 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 of showing people that um, sport is for everybody. And, and, and a lot of people think that LGBT people don't play football or, or, or whatever sports, but um, they kind of give that, give that, um, they dispel that notion by by being visible and being proud and um, a lot of these people have been going to these games for years and years and years and they've been activists for years and years and years in these spaces um, and they need to be commended and celebrated and uh, I'm just proud that we've got a campaign now which uh, which 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 allows clubs to platform some of these LGBT fan groups and bridge that gap and and kind of work with them and, and support them in a way that they need supporting because um, again, like I think, if we're going to tackle um, some of the challenging cultures that exist around football, I think these guys have got to be the the heart of it. They've got to be at the heart of it as, as the only visible 
the only visual representation of, of LGBT people in these spaces. So yeah, um, when we're talking about self-policing, when we're talking about kind of um, visibility, um, absolutely, span groups um, um, are, are incredibly important to that cause. One final question, then I'll let you go, because I know you have training tonight. Where do you see Rainbow Laces campaign in like five years? I know you probably can't release some plans now, but where do you see the campaign going? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, it's difficult to answer, but um, to be honest, I think um, for, for us as an organization, our, our priority um, would always be um, ensuring that LGBT people feel safe, celebrated, and are visible and, and represented in, in sports at all levels. Um, and until we get there, I think it's really, really important that we that we have a campaign which gives the people the opportunity to come platform uh, LGBT people that currently exist within their spaces um, and celebrates um, those people also. Um, so uh, the same way how we have pride every year and we have to march, I think it's really important that until we, we see that parity within, within sport where we're seeing trans representation, we're seeing gay, bi, lesbian representation, um, throughout various different levels, not just playing on the field, but um, within their workforce, within the stands. Um, I think until we see that, um, I think that the Rainbow Laces campaign is always going to exist and um, is always going to be necessary until we kind of um, have that parity where, where LGBT people feel safe um, and feel welcome and, and celebrated within um, within football and within sport as, as a whole. Cool. Thank, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before I let you go? Uh, no, that's all right. Just thank you for having me. Um, it's been uh, it's been fun. Um, and again, like I think, uh, hopefully we could uh, take Rainbow Laces uh, international, international. Yeah, I I think you should. I think the Ben Nassler from Germany. I think he would benefit from people from Stonewall reaching out to him to help him because. There's so many organizations out there in other countries that don't have the uh, the setup already that need help. So I, I hope you guys do go international and and grow even more. Yeah, there's absolutely a, a, an appetite for it, and yeah, I think um, it's it's just ensuring that we do that the ethical way and we work with people on the ground from that front. So yeah, um, happy to be linked up with anybody, um, and happy to kind of create a network and a movement of um, of people who are, who are striving for the same thing. Thank you so much, Jay, for coming on the podcast. I had a lot of fun talking with you. We are going to take a short break, though. We will be back right after this. We are back. Before I get to my next guest, I want to quickly tell you about tomorrow's episode of The Transporter Room with Don Ennis and Carly Webb. This week's episode is ESPN senior editor for MLB and one of the co-founders of Baseball Prospectus, Christina Carl. She joins Don and Carly as pitchers and catchers report for spring training. Christina just happens to be transgender. They also managed to fit in a little conversation about Star Trek Picard, which is on the CBS All Access. So check that out tomorrow. I know I'll be checking it out myself. My last guest today is Adam McCabe. Like I said, Adam has his own podcast. I highly recommend you check it out. Links will be in the show notes. Without further ado, though, here is the final guest for this episode, Adam McCabe. Welcome, Adam, to my podcast. Hey guys, how are you doing? You know, it's funny because I've listened to your own podcast since it came out, so it's it's weird to actually talk to you now. <laughs> yeah, I know it's uh, it's funny doing these back and forth with other people who have a podcast. It's it's fun. 
Um, before we get into the discussion, though, I want people to know who you are because you have a life where you have played in England. You play here. You've been um, someone who's really getting the voice out for people who play football and are fans of football. So when did you start playing football yourself? Oh, man, uh, three years old. I mean, it was the first thing I did. Uh, My parents uh, were pretty active people, and they wanted me to play every sport. And uh, soccer was one of those sports, and it was the one that I gravitated to and was really enjoyed and loved the most. But I think three years old is when I did. I think it was called like bumblebees or whatever, um, and then started playing like team Y, and I and I really organized sitting at five years old, um, but really young. <laughs> I can't imagine being an American who actually went over and played in Europe. So when did that start to become a thing for you? Oh man, the first time I went abroad, I was thirteen years old. Um, I played, so I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, so northern Florida, basically like southern Georgia. <laughs> um, but um, one of my coaches was from Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, and he took a group of us over to where he grew up and played in in Argentina. And I went for about a month. Um, and it was great. It was so eye-opening just seeing what an academy is like, how players, you know, are picked up at a young age and live at an academy and go to school during, you know, half the day and then train and basically live and breathe soccer the second half of the day. And uh, I did really well there. And I was actually going to stay uh, past the month. I was asked to stay longer, but uh, I was. Uh, my mom said, no, get your behind back to the United States you're finishing (laughs) middle school um but that was the very first time and then I went abroad to Spain when I was 16 and then again when I was 18 and that I just had that bug I mean I went abroad I had that taste of what it was that life and I was like you know this is something I want to do when did you start to realize your own sexuality then um Man, I think maybe the later years of middle school is when, like, I knew something was different. Um, but this is, I mean, this is going to be crazy, but I, I played with two teams growing up. So, I was again, I was from Tallahassee, but, um, or I lived in Tallahassee, but originally I was from Atlanta, Georgia. And Atlanta, Georgia is a soccer hub, um, and there were more competitive teams there. I was kind of outgrowing the teams in Tallahassee. And so teams in Atlanta would ask me to play for them. And so one team called Concord Fire, um, I basically just traveled all over the the U.S. and flew to tournaments and played for them. And so literally every weekend I was like either playing for my team in Tallahassee or playing for Atlanta or the Concord Fire out of Atlanta. So I had like no time for girls or, I mean, I wasn't out, but boys or whatever, you know, so... I really suppressed all of that. And even throughout high school, I kind of knew. I mean, I had a quote-unquote girlfriend. But again, I was so, I mean, I was training every day, every weekend. I was away. I mean, I was probably the worst, you know, boyfriend ever to to those <laughs> girls because I was never there. But, it, you know, I was so just in-depth into soccer at that point that I honestly had no time. I just... Um, but I, yeah, I would say later stages of middle school, early high school is when I kind of like knew something was different, but again, it was so suppressed because I just didn't have time to really even think about it. 
so obviously playing in comp soccer then and traveling and like you said it it sort of protected you it kept you in the closet as you travel more as you get older you're accepting of yourself did it also allow you to have more freedom with your sexuality or was that never a thing for you at no, least at it, that point that's that's a great question and it's funny as i like reflect things um so before I went abroad, I actually did a semester at Vassar College, uh, or I did a year, a season up a uh, small school up north uh, in New York. And, you know, I had a lot of offers here in the southeast for Division One schools. And um, <laughs> when I told people I was going to New York, they were like, you're crazy. Like, what? <laughs> you've, you know, you've grown up in Georgia, Florida. It's you know, the Southeast hot and muggy, like, why are you going up there? You, you know, you hate the cold. And I think, I, it, honestly, it was me running away from, like, you know, my sexuality and running away from, like, that possibility of people finding out kind of when I look back on things. And I went to Vassar, which is a liberal arts school, and it was the first time, like, I was kind of hit on by a guy and, like, was in this environment where sexuality was very fluid and free and it's just, it's a school where you're, you're allowed to be who you want to be. And, um, it was just very funny. Cause I think, I mean, obviously I, I went abroad that next season. Cause again, I had that bug and I had the opportunity to play in England, but I think I found myself in this moment where I was getting too close to almost like almost opening up and being myself and out and I, I kind of got scared and like ran away to England, if that makes sense. So I think mm-hmm. it was half and half, like I'm chasing my dream, but also like I'm getting way too close to like this, you know, out, being out and people hitting on me and it feeling good and me wanting to react and me being like, whoa, I can't do that. And so it was, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously the forefront of me going to England was I wanted to play professionally, but I think maybe like a tenth of it was also like I'm running I'm running from this part of me that I don't want to you know accept or don't want people to see so very very in-depth layered part of that as someone who has traveled then um (laughs) I I sent you the files of Jay and Ben's um part of this episode that'll come out what was your big takeaway then like let's start with Ben's where he's Mr. Gay Germany he um, he played as a kid, but he really wants to spread the message of, you know, gay athletes in sports. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's great is I've seen that, that competition, the Mr. Gay Europe or whatever it is. Um, and I think it's a great, first off, I think that's a great competition. And what I love about that is kind of what you're talking about is there's a really, uh, philanthropy side to that competition it's not just about like looks and uh, I think he calls it catwalk or runway there's also like a like what you know can you build a platform or some kind of activism piece around it and you know it it was very interesting listening to his side because I, I I totally agree just growing up for me I mean at a young age I wasn't aware so I think it wasn't a big deal for me but I, I do remember at a very early age hearing these words and hearing these things that had a negative connotation mm-hmm. and just thinking like this, you know, these words were negative or meant a bad thing. And then when I kind of realized, oh, 
they're they're subconsciously that's they're you know they're kind of talking about me but they don't mean to and that's something I experienced in locker rooms growing up it, it just kind of connected some dots for me and you know I think he's what he's doing with his activism and his piece is really good because you know even till this day we still have a lot of you know uh, homophobic incidents in stadiums and a lot of times it really is educating not only the fans but like the security guards of what to do when when this event happens or like what is a derogatory comment because again growing up when you grow up and you loosely use these terms you think of it as nothing but you don't really know the impact it could have on an individual or what it really means and so I mean, again, I really love his piece and like what he's trying to do with his activism piece. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, again, football is a, you know, England is a, it's very macho. And that's, you know, you think of, if you've seen Green Street hooligans, I mean, that's what I think of of England. It's just very, it's a very macho man sport. Um, It came from the streets. It comes from people's neighborhoods and representing where you live and, Germany is very similar. Um, I don't think, I don't know to what extent the homophobia is, but again, it's, um, I think what he's using his platform for is great. And I'd love, again, for it to be spread throughout other sports. Um, I just know, again, football is the biggest sport in Germany. So I'm glad he's using primarily for, for those reasons. Yeah, it's really cool. And like you mentioned, I love the idea of the, the campaign that he had to come up with, it's not just a, a looks deal. Yeah. It's actually, you're, you're doing something positive. Yeah. And even the people who didn't win have these campaigns that hopefully they can continue on with whatever it was. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to your podcast in a, in a few minutes, but I, I bring that up now because um, Jay is someone who has been a guest on your podcast. I've listened to the episode. And so I know you probably heard a lot of what he said before. But with your experience in England playing, um, it was with Leeds, was it? So I lived in Leeds, but it was with a club called Bradford City. So okay. um, they're like neighboring towns. I don't even really know how to explain. They're like two. They're right next to each other. Leeds is just more of a metropolitan city. It's um, it's 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 a bigger city in the area. Um, Leeds is like a higher division up than where I was, which was Bradford City. Okay. Um, so the whole rainbow laces campaign though, that, that Jay works on and you look at your time when you were there a few years ago to how it's grown and how it's, it's helping people. I mean, Ryan Atkin has been on your podcast and he's told stories of rainbow laces events and and games and matches that he's worked in and the positive, positive responses he's had. So what, Tell me a little bit about the campaign and what it means to you as a player. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, first and foremost, Jay Jay's a great guy. He's a really good athlete and a great footballer. Um, <laughs> he's a, to start that off, and Stonewall, who he plays for, they're a, a great organization. Um, and, you know, obviously they partner with the club and the organization, partner together a lot with these kind of campaigns. But... You know, Rainbow Laces to me is is a very visual um, campaign. It's something that is in your face. Um, it's something that doesn't hide. And I think for a lot of us, we're, we hide. We've had to hide for a good part of our lives and be hidden. And 
to me, rainbow laces is a outward expression of our sexuality. And it's a way to, for other people to have an outward expression of showing that they support us. And that's what I really love the most about this campaign is some people still don't really know how to support LGBTQ individuals in sport. And this is a great way for not only people from our community, but allies from our community to support and show us that they are supportive or they're here for us. Um, I'm sure, I, I mean, as Jay said, this campaign is just blown up immensely. I mean, the what you see on social media from the Rainbow Laces campaign is always incredible. It grows every year and you'll always see people with their boots and they've got the laces. And I think for me, it's it's just an outpouring of people understanding that this is an issue and they're going to donate to a cause, but they're also proud to wear those, you know, wear those laces and to show that they are supportive. And, you know, I think you, you we're slowly seeing more and more, whether it's premier league managers, like I remember last year, um, I think this year, you know, Klopp, um, from Liverpool, he had the laces in his shoes. And I think you're seeing more and more players added onto theirs. Um, I'm hoping it's by their own doing and not by the FA or the EPL <laughs> yeah. saying like, hey, you must wear these. Because um, I know sometimes they, they have an agenda thrown on them. But that being said, I really hope there comes a time when it's more, you know, someone does it for a season or, you know, does it for more than just football via the homophobia month and you know for me it just continues to grow and i i would love other leagues around europe and i would love the mls to you know kind of catch fire with this you know that's my big thing about mls right now is mls does like the bare minimum and sometimes i think it's just a tick in a box and yeah we did mm-hmm. a pride night you know we support the lgbtq community but i think and I think we've job talked to Jay about this and others. It's like, we've done this campaign. Like, how can we even push further? Like, how do we move that needle? Just one, you know, one little tick further. Cause it has been super successful and it seems to, there's a great visual response and people are responding to it, but like, what's the next step? And that's the, that's kind of the conversation we're having now around those kind of campaigns. Yeah. And I think, you know, you brought up MLS, you are obviously a supporter of Atlanta United to me personally, looking out, looking into all the the LGBT groups, I personally believe the Atlanta group is probably the largest and most successful of all of them in the MLS. How do you see that group playing a part in making the Pride Night bigger for at least Atlanta United? Yeah, so I've been super fortunate to really help build something really amazing in Atlanta. Um, so supporters groups, as most people know, are groups of individuals who support their local soccer team. It could be a, they could be from the same area, um, same demographic, um, same ethnic group, sexuality, whatever it may be. They may like the same kind of music that brings them together. And, um, you know, uh, two guys that I know of started All Stripes, um, which is the official LGBTQ plus supporters group for Atlanta United. And very early on, they brought me in just because they knew I was involved in the soccer world and said, hey, can you kind of be on our board and be a part of creating this thing? And it's been a crazy three to four years. And it's been an amazing thing because Atlanta United 
I mean, Atlanta United itself has been such a successful team. You know, we've broken so many attendance records, and that just follows suits with our um, our club, All Stripes. We have around 500 paid members. I mean, we do tailgates for every home game. Um, we do away watch parties. And what's been great for me is connecting with the other supporters groups across MLS. And that's been a goal of ours this year really is you know, we know that um, Pride Republic, who is the LAFC supporters group, they're going to send a bunch of their guys over for the LAFC Atlanta United game here. Uh, I think it's in August. And it's going to be a great celebration of hosting them and showing them the city. And so we really want to be able to say, hey, if you're LGBTQ and you're coming to our city, here's a very safe space for you to watch the game, to tailgate, to feel like you belong. And again, feel safe and watch this game you love. And it's been a great experience being able to help out some of these other groups and say like, Hey, this is what we've done. This is our code of conduct. This is how we handled this situation. And I mean, again, we're just trying to really push MLS and really say to MLS, like, Hey, we have done pride nights the past few years. They've been great. We sell t-shirts, we sell scarves, you know, Atlanta United sells out of those, the rainbow whatever you know jerseys or not jerseys but shirts and scarves like nothing you know <laughs> they'll sell out overnight and that's great that's fantastic but for me it's what can we do more i just don't want this to be like a profit margin type thing like can we actually take that and do something active to the community or can we push it further with our activations inside the stadiums and that's for me the, the power of all stripes and what we need to do and taking that to either MLS, Atlanta United, or whomever. But that's really our goal in terms of making this game a safer and more inclusive space. Yeah, and if there's any group that's going to do it, it's going to be your group that you guys have because, like I said, it's easily the strongest one. And it's cool to see this, uh, the support that you're getting from the club itself. Let's move on to your podcast. I Yeah, I think I already knew you knew of you before the podcast. So when I saw that you were starting, when I was excited to hear it, um, you have managed to go all over and talk to so many people. Um, what was the driving force behind this podcast for you? And the Honestly, podcast, by the way, is Gay Footballers Podcast. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so yeah, the the Gay Footballers Podcast. I mean. I, so my story really became popular. I think someone you know pretty well. And I, and I think you've interviewed John Holmes. Um, oh, yeah. He works for Sky Sports in England. Um, he heard my story uh, from someone else or from another article, and he just resonated with it so much because he knew, you know, the areas. So Leeds is in a region called West Yorkshire. And so he just was very familiar with the area and then Leeds and Bradford City and just the teams I was with. And it just struck a chord with him. So he reached out and he was like, hey, I really want to do a piece. So we talked for, you know, a good couple of hours and he released a story. And after that story was put out, I got in contact with someone who does activism with athletes. And I actually did a podcast with her couple of weeks ago her name was Kat Craig and I partnered with her for a couple of things and really those two individuals pushed me and just said you've got a platform um you've been around the world you've done a lot of things 
you know how to speak, you've been media trained, like you need to use this platform and you should push yourself. And I kind of pushed it off just because I was going through knee, knee surgery. I it was buying a house. I was doing a lot of things. And finally, one day, what really sparked it was I got invited to speak at a conference in England about inclusivity in football. And I said, OK, I'm here. I'm just going to interview a crap ton of people because I'm here where football is and there's a little bit easier access here. People are more open to talk and they're, you know, it's not like the U S where I've got to travel five hours to see people. I can, you know, do an hour train ride or whatever. And um, yeah, that was really it. I mean, for me, it was thinking when I was in these countries, when I was in England or Thailand, Slovakia, wherever playing, what kind of outlet would I have loved to have? Or when I was that closeted athlete, what would I have been looking for to help me kind of break through that struggle and to know that there were people out there like me. And I just thought, you know, there are really amazing people in the football or soccer world. And I just want to highlight those people and share their accomplishments. And I think every now and then I do something that's not soccer based. I do what interests me um, as a gay soccer player. So I'll do like a, Kyle Krieger was an interview. He doesn't play soccer, but obviously his sister or he, his sister is Allie Krieger. Um, but anyways, so it's a mix of a bunch of things. But for me, again, it was highlighting people in soccer who are LGBTQ or allies and who are making soccer an inclusive space. And it's, it's been amazing because I've got to travel a lot, meet a lot of people. And again, it's all people trying to do the same thing, trying to make soccer a better space and a more inclusive space for others. What are some of the biggest takeaways so far for you with the podcast? I think uh, soccer or football is, is always evolving and um, the challenges and the opportunities within like trying to make soccer is a better space is always evolving as well. Um, I've learned a lot about, the media side of soccer and how hard it is to talk to people sometimes how hard it is to get through or get an agent to let you talk to somebody or mm -hmm. get a, um, to get a PR person to let you talk to somebody it's very funny like uh, you know sports organizations especially MLS ones even unfortunately Atlanta United they really don't want you to bring up anything that is a hot topic and you know for me I'm trying to make soccer a better space and so I want to talk about why you're not doing this or what can we do better or I want to highlight like amazing things that organization has done and uh, I understand from organization side they're there to make a profit and they don't want to rock the boat so there's sometimes when they don't give me access because they're afraid I may rock the boat but I think as a lot of media people, they get that same kind of response. So it's been interesting just learning the ins and outs of sports, uh, the sports media world and how to, how to get someone to talk to you and how to work with a club and how to make sure you can get in there because they don't want you to make them look uh, like idiots, I guess, is the, is, is the simple <laughs> way to say it. They don't, they don't want you to go in there and uh, make them look like fools. So how, how to compromise, I would say, is, is a good way, good thing I've learned thus far. Where can people find your podcast? 
Um, so it's, uh, I host it on Anchor, so it's on every um, major podcast platform. Um, but it's just the Gay Footballers Podcast. Uh, Twitter, it's uh, TGF Pod. On Facebook, it's the Gay Footballers Podcast. Um, Instagram, it's TG Footballers Podcast. And then you can always shoot me an email if you're want to be on it know someone who should be on it or hate it or love it <laughs> uh, <laughs> any commentary is fine with me um it's a work in progress but that's uh, tg footballers podcast at gmail.com cool yeah i love it i listen to it every episode that it comes out when it comes out thank you adam for coming on this podcast and helping me talk about uh lgbt issues in football yeah thank you for having me Damn, that was a long episode. I hope you stuck around and listened to all three guests. Um, I had a lot of fun talking with them. I always love to learn about experiences from around the world, so I hope, <coughs> so I hope you do too. Um, tune in next week when I have a Hockey Edition episode with Brock Taylor. Next week's episode is with Brock McGillis, former guest, a previous guest of mine on this podcast. And Zach Sullivan from England, who recently came out as bisexual when his um, hockey league in England had their Pride weekend. So I hope you come back next week and check it out. Anyways, until next time, have an awesome week.